Support for Rule Breaker Investing comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life, and that's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully, so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. And thanks to LinkedIn for supporting The Motley Fool. The best place to find great talent for your hiring needs is LinkedIn. In fact, 70% of the U.S. workforce is already on LinkedIn. And for a $50 credit towards your first job post, you can visit linkedin.com slash MF, like Motley Fool. LinkedIn.com slash MF. Terms and conditions apply. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. And welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. Let's start June together. Happy June. June always a, a delightful month. And we've got some family birthdays in our family. You might as well. Um, in yours, you might also be already at the beach as you're hearing us do this podcast. Uh, I hope you're enjoying better weather. That's especially true if you're in the Northern Hemisphere. Anyway, June looks like a fun month for this show. This week, we're going to do Stock Stories Volume 2. So, one year ago-ish, we did our very first, in this series, Stock Stories, where rather than talk about story stocks, which is a phrase that a lot of us in the investing world have heard over the years, story stocks, you know, stocks that maybe don't have the numbers behind them, uh, maybe that you haven't researched that much, but it's got a story, and if it's got a story, it becomes a story stock, and maybe one that you could or should own. And rather than pay obeisance to that, we flip it and we make it about stock stories, with the thinking that behind every stock is a story. So over the course of this week's podcast, I'm going to get to introduce some wonderful guest stars, and they're going to tell the story of a stock. It might be a stock that you know of. It might not be a story that you know. But uh, each of us has a story to share. And at the end, we've got six, just like we had a year ago for Stock Stories Volume 1. At the end, we've got Dan Pink, the celebrated author, nonfiction works about business, work, and productivity. And Dan has his stock story. So we have the pleasure of sharing that. That came from Fool Fest, which is our annual conference where we invite in many of our members, uh, many of our longtime best members, and they come together with us in Alexandria, Virginia. We have some star-studded guest speakers. Dan Pink was one of them. So, Dan graciously told a stock story to Full Fest last week, and I'll be including that on this podcast. So, that's what we're doing this week. Next week, I already want to be previewing this, because next week, it's back to the Market Cap Game Show, the latest episode. I'll be bringing my friend Matt Argusinger back in, and we'll be playing with you, playing at home, the Market Cap Game Show. So, that's always fun, always worth looking forward to. Oh, and by the way, Matt will be a guest on this week's show as well, telling a stock story. One other housekeeping note before we get started. We're going to have a Rule Breaker Extra this weekend, and I really love this. I hope you'll love it, too. So, if you're around, Saturday or Sunday, want to download one extra Rule Breaker Investing podcast, you're going to get to hear the interview that my brother Tom and I did with Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood fame. Tom and I interviewed him back in the day. If you were around for a podcast a couple of months ago when we did our Blast from the Radio Past, you heard one or two Fred Roger-isms in that podcast. We excerpted a little there. But this week, we're going to present the entire thing uncut. I know there are a lot of Fred Rogers fans out there, so if you want to hear Fred with his brush with the Motley Fool 
I am delighted and excited to share that with you, and I thank in advance my producers Matt Greer and Rick Engdahl for making that possible. We are timing that up with Mr. Rogers' documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor, which comes out this weekend, so a little bit of publicity, a little bit of love for that documentary. I've not seen it yet. It looks spectacular. So, it's kind of a Mr. Rogers week here around Fool HQ, and we're happy to share that with you as well. All right, stock story number one. And for this one, I get to invite in my longtime friend and collaborator, Carl Thiel. Carl, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a delight to have you, Carl. And before you start, I'd like you to just talk briefly about what you do around The Fool and how we've worked together over the years. I have, I guess, unlike a lot of people around uh, uh, Fool HQ, I've really kind of done one thing for a long time. I've worked on Rule Breakers and I've worked on Stock Advisor. And um, I now feel oddly protective about both of those things. <laughs> I just love them. Uh, but yeah, I'm, a, I'm an analyst on both of those services. Um, I have a particular sort of uh, gravitation towards um, biotech uh, and technology in general. But um, my work at Stock Advisor takes me all over the place, which is also, I think, uh, good for me and hopefully good for other people. You bet. And Carl, it's been a delight to work together. Seems like almost about 15 years at this point. I think that is about right, yeah. And these days you live in? I now live in Austin, Texas, after many years in Portland, Oregon. Which is pretty awesome. So, the one thing you and I haven't really done together is work in a co-located way, Carl, but we've made virtual work pretty well over more than a decade now. Carl, what is the stock that you'll be sharing a story about this week? Uh, the stock is NVIDIA, uh, with the ticker NVDA. Excellent. Carl, maybe start with Once Upon a Time and take it away. Okay. Once Upon a Time, and by Once Upon a Time, I mean earlier this afternoon, um, <laughs> David told me that I could tell a stock story, and I, I quickly kind of gravitated towards NVIDIA because for a very short moment, it makes me look really smart. And so I'm going to start with the smart part. And if you take nothing else away from this, this is the part you should remember. <laughs> I bought shares of NVIDIA at $12.56 a piece in April 2013. Awesome. And I can, I can pause there for a little bit of applause in the audience. <laughs> if that's it. Since the stock's somewhere around 250 these days, that's been a really, really good call over five years. Right. So... I, I think what what you know th this is this is my stock story. This is this the story as it's been for me. I, I think what follows next is a story of why you can be wrong on the details and still come out ahead. Um, I mean, unfortunately, the inverse can also be true. You can get all the facts basically right, kind of successfully predict the future in broad terms and still lose out. And I, I have stories like that too. But in this case, I, I would say that that when I decided to buy NVIDIA, I had general beliefs and specific beliefs about the company. And it had, at that point, it had already been a stock advisor recommendation since April of 2005. It was at that point in 2013, it was, an out, it was outperforming the market, but not spectacularly so. Um, and I would say my general belief could probably be summarized as something like video processing this is going to be big for more than just games. <laughs> I had specific beliefs. My specific beliefs were that the company's Tegra processors, because of their high performance, would find an increasing role in tablets and smartphones and maybe other areas like cars. I'd been out to CES and seen some really cool demos of their infotainment systems. 
really amazing tricked out automobiles. Um, and I was excited. So the general belief turned out to be, I think, pretty correct. The specific beliefs were really pretty wrong. Um, Tegra, Tegra is still around. It's incorporated into uh, Shield gaming devices. It's in the drive system. It's no slouch. Tegra revenue was $442 million in the most recent quarter, which is about 14% of total revenue. But Tegra, for the most part, and most certainly smartphones, are not what catapulted the company forward. And you know, I think kind of what happened in the interim is that the tablet market, which is really the only mobile market where the Tegra ever found much traction, just kind of fell apart. And then Tegra wasn't a good fit for most phones because it was too power hungry and it wasn't well integrated enough with other components. And NVIDIA even bought a company called Isera in 2011 so that it could incorporate modems and radio frequency stuff. And and that's another part I, I, I was thinking that this could finally position them to do better in the mobile market than they had, which also turned out to be wrong. NVIDIA sold Isera in 2015 and essentially exited the mobile chip market at that point. So I, I guess if you're looking right now at what what is it that really ended up driving NVIDIA forward. I think it kind of started in 2015 when they launched into some of their deep learning stuff and they introduced the Pascal architecture and then more recently the Volta architecture, which I still think is really not appreciated for what it's going to do. But I went back and I looked at the 2005 original recommendation uh, and that one really hit one um, very accurate idea. And the idea was video games are big and they're getting bigger. And I think if you had to up that, update that for today, it would be artificial intelligence is big, <laughs> and it's getting bigger. It um, sure is, and yet it's still early, so early on for AI, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. So I, I think to, to end this story, I think if there was a, a lesson uh, that, that you wanted to draw from that, if you're trying to predict the future, Aim for a broad portrait. You know, don't don't necessarily get too bogged down by expert details about what needs to happen in exactly what order. Make sure that the broader picture is still emerging because that's really what's going to mm. drive success or failure. It's a really great point, Carl, because I think about how sometimes you'll talk to a friend who's very much into a given stock and they've already kind of choreographed what's going to happen with the next few corporate developments and the stock price. And I mean, God bless that person if they're right. But so often we're wrong. But the good news is for you and me, and you're describing one of those cases where we didn't quite get it right yet, the stock does even better than we probably thought. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, it, and I mean, in a way, maybe that's kind of a, a Peter Lynch observation. You can use your own experience, even if it's somewhat general, to make good choices. Mm. I really like that. You know, I think about NVIDIA. In fact, I told the story at Fool Fest to some of our members last week. Just to think, we recommended it um, below $7 a share back in 2005, as you referenced, and it went to 30 within two years. So it was a four bagger for us by 2007. And then you and I remember what happened. Well, we all remember what happened to the stock market in 2008 9. It went from 30 down below our cost of $6.75 or so one year later. So we watched it go from basically 7 to 30 down to 6, which hurt a lot because when you made four times your money, you don't like to watch all that go away and a little bit more. And then it wasn't until, well, you had it in 2013, right, Carl? Your cost was 12, did you say? Yeah. 
It wasn't until 2016 that the stock actually finally got back to 30, which we'd seen in 2007. And you know this because you're on the team. We held it all the way through. And in 2016, just to add a little bit to your story, the stock went from 30 to 90 that year. It tripled. It was the number one performing stock for the S&P 500 for the Standard & Poor's 500 that year. And in 2017, we decided to re-recommend it right again, because we're not afraid of things already having gone up. Usually, that's a good sign. And so, the good news is we picked it there again in 2017 at 100, and it's somewhere around 250, 260 today. So, it has been spectacular. But yeah, I don't think we were foreseeing, were we, back when we wrote that 2005 buy report, that artificial intelligence would come along autonomous vehicles and all of these prospects for NVIDIA and its graphics processing units. Yeah, we weren't, but I think it really, I mean, I, I looking back at that, I think it really did get at what was important. It was it's that, you know, it was about gaming. It was about the the continued rise of gaming and that continues to be a huge driver for the company. I mean, that is a very true observation 13 years later. And in broad terms, that original 2005 recommendation was absolutely accurate. Well, and at the cost of about $6.75, we're sitting pretty on that one. Not every story has a happy ending today. For now, this one does. But for you, from that spectacular buy just five years ago at 12, or for some Stock Advisor members that had to wait for seven or eight years for the thing to do anything for us at all, uh, it's sometimes that epic odyssey story, Odysseus making the effort to get all the way back to fair Ithaca uh, and all the things that he had to do to get through. And that's how investing, which by definition is for the long term, feels a lot of the time. Carl Teal, thank you very much for joining us and sharing stock story number one. Thank you. And now it's time for stock story number two. And we're welcoming in here in Full HQ, my friend Matt Argusinger. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well, David. Awesome. Now, you and I, I've already previewed this, we're going to go back and play the Market Cap Game Show next week, and I always get excited about this. I, I am excited about that. Do you that. get a little nervous about it, Matt? Cause you're... I, I, I think I'm getting more and more nervous, because I have this streak going. Yeah. It's 6 out of 10, and yeah. I feel like if I don't hit that, I'm going to be really disappointed. So. I understand. Yeah. Well, I'll try to you know balance out with some hard ones, with some easier ones. We'll see how the numbers come out, but you've always impressed me, because I would never have done more than about 3 or 4 out of 10. I think many of our listeners feel the same way. And That's all next week, though. For this week, we're going to talk about a story. Before you start, Matt, can you just briefly introduce yourself to people who have not met you before? What do you do around Fool HQ? Sure. I, well, I'm an analyst uh, in our investing team here at The Fool. I've actually been at The Fool for just over 10 years now. It's, it's amazing. Awesome. Uh, and uh, I, am, I have the great honor of being in Supernova and on our Odyssey One mission. The outstanding Odyssey One mission, a real money portfolio. I know we've got some Odyssey One listeners right now, but for those who've never heard of Odyssey One or Supernova, Matt, what is it that you do and you can brag a little bit if you like in terms of the performance <laughs> that you've generated for members. Well, yes. Yeah, so, you know, Supernova is a collection of real money portfolios in missions, we call them, that are kind of pursuing different goals. And the Odyssey One mission, uh, it was one of the first real money missions we launched in Supernova, when Supernova launched in 2012. And our goal is to, you know, help the investor who's still saving and investing for retirement that's somewhere out in the future, a wage-earning investor who's probably adding money regularly to their portfolio. And so we're we're taking we've taken some, you know, some I'd say some fairly riskier uh, investments brought them into Odyssey One from the Supernova universe uh, and uh, put together a, a pretty good, uh, pretty good track record in six years. The Odyssey One um, portfolio has delivered roughly a two hundred percent return, so a, a roughly a triple in six years. 
Right, which has been completely awesome, and the market over that time has been good, but not anything like that good. So uh, wonderful, and I know a lot of members are very grateful for your and your team's work, Matt. And the idea of our real money portfolio missions is that anybody can mirror them who's a member. If you just want to, Matt and his team tell you what to do ahead of time, so you can find out what stock am I supposed to buy next. And we're always scoring ourselves at or after when you do. So anybody truly can mirror these portfolios. And in a world where a lot of people think you can't beat the index fund. Could you? Well, the good news is, I think that Odyssey and really all of Supernova proved that yes, you can, and it's quite lucrative to do so. So, anyway, enough with that. Matt, what is the stock you're presenting for stock story number two? Sure. So, the stock I'm bringing here today is, is Twitter. Uh, ticker TWTR. We I think we all know what Twitter is and what it does. Uh, and this is a stock we've actually we actually bought three times in Odyssey One uh, over the years. And I believe we're the only supernova real the portfolio mission that has uh, recommended Twitter. Excellent. So Matt, far. start us off with uh, Once Upon a Time. Sure. Well, Once Upon a Time, I guess you go back to December 2013. Uh, Twitter enters the supernova universe via your team and Rule Breakers. Uh, and at the time, it was a sixty-four-dollar uh, share. The price was sixty-four dollars a share. Uh, it had recently come public um, after much, you know, uh, anticipation, fanfare. We waited roughly nine months to finally bring it into Odyssey One. So this is August two thousand fourteen now, uh, and the stock price was forty-six dollars. We actually added it a month later again in September twenty-fourth, in September two thousand fourteen. Sorry. Uh, so back-to-back months for us. We were excited about the company, and I thought it was fun to go to go back and read some of our write-ups uh, for Twitter at the time. Mm, and because kind of, not to foreshadow, yes. but Twitter would drop some from there, wouldn't it? It would drop quite a bit. But if you go back and read some of the things we wrote, my team and I, and this is uh, Aaron Bush, myself, Tim Byers, uh, and Sarah Goddard. Uh, just to give you a taste, Twitter is the preeminent real-time communication platform of the future. The active user base of Twitter is accelerating. Revenue growth is growing over 100%. It's the operating system of news. Increasingly, the way people consume news and information in real time. More relevant every day to individuals, corporations, sports teams, celebrities, government agencies, news feeds. And as Spencer Raskoff of Zillow continuously emphasizes, advertisers follow audience, and Twitter's audience is growing by leaps and bounds in an almost unlimited number of verticals. Now, that, that was pretty awesomely true back then, and some of it is definitely true today. The story may have changed a little bit in the meantime. It did. So, you go forward, and, and really, kind of the timing of that, you know, after our second wreck. So, here is Twitter, September 2014, at $52 a share, and it was pretty much downhill from there. So, every quarter hence, not only did revenue growth decelerate pretty fast, that was a big thing. The active user base for Twitter, which at the time was approaching 300 million, it really flattened out. So the active user base, um, you know, it went from growing. I want. I'm saying at 30 percent year over year, it went down to about five percent year over year, eventually flattening out. Uh, and of course, as you can imagine, this really changed the market's perception of Twitter, uh, and it dropped. Quite precipitously, at one point, uh, getting as low as fourteen dollars a share. Yeah, I remember so that. That was uh, that was not a fun time. And when was the bottom? Uh, well, it kind of hit two. Yeah, kind of hit two bottoms. It hit one that fourteen dollar, fifteen dollar bottom in two thousand fifteen, and it hit it again later on in, uh, I believe, early two thousand seventeen. Mm. So two two trips to the the depths. Yeah. Uh, but you know, interestingly enough, we weren't deterred by that. Uh, we actually added a third time. In December 2015, so roughly 15 months after our last wreck, and specifically because Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter uh, and today his, its CEO, once again, he came back mm. around that time. Kind of like Steve Jobs coming back, right? And we thought, you know, here's here's the founder coming back. 
Uh, and he did something kind of really uh, what we thought was tremendous at the time. He came in and he, he gave away $200 million of his own worth a share ownership in Twitter to his employees at Twitter upon coming back. thought that was an interesting move. One of the bigger gifts that we can think of any CEO ever giving their employees. Right. Uh, and Twitter, it, of course, we were wrong at the time to re-recommend it, um, because Twitter, again, as we foreshadowed, uh, hit another new low uh, shortly after that. It had, in the fall of 2016, it was interesting, it actually shot up from that low teens to about $25. And this was because there was a rash of buyout rumors, if you remember. Uh, companies from Salesforce to Disney, kind of, there were rumors that they were bidding for the company. Mm. It shot up to $25. Of course, a buyout never materialized. Stock fell sharply after that and slumped down to, again to that $14 or $15 range. Uh, but this is when you, David, and your team in Rule Breakers, in January 25th, 2017, made your second recommendation of Twitter uh, at, at around $19, uh, which I thought was, uh, was incredibly prescient at the time. And of course, it's turned out to be an incredible investment. And the reason I thought of Twitter today, or this week specifically, was because it was just announced that this week that Twitter is going to be joining the S&P 500. Yes, indeed. And Twitter had a very nice day. In fact, the day that it was announced was Monday, I believe. We're taping here on Tuesday, and Twitter's up about 5% or so. That's right. Largely on the news, but right? Because all the index funds now pile in and need to own some Twitter. That's correct. And so, it's nearly $40 uh, as we tape, uh, which I think is tremendous, because not only is it a, uh, a more than a double from when you last recommended it in Rule Breakers in January 2017. Uh, it's, uh, it's up 60% since our last recommendation in awesome. Odyssey 1 about two and a half years ago. And it's actually, as of this week, above our cost basis. So, our cost wow. basis is about $38. And for the first time in roughly five years, Twitter is back above our cost basis. That's great. Now, of money. course, I assume you intend the story to end there, Matt. I'm going to ask you about the lesson in a sec. But there can be an epilogue here that I want to ask you about as well, because all that really matters now, of course, is what happens Going forward. So, first, Matt, what's the lesson? Well, I think the lesson is you know, Twitter hasn't been a great investment. Uh, and it's one of those investments when we looked at it at the time, you know, it had just recently gone public. The hype around the, the platform and how it was growing it was tremendous. Um, it looked like it was going to have the same kind of trajectory as, say, Facebook in terms of ad, ad, you know, advertising growth and user growth. Uh, and so, there was all this excitement. It didn't materialize. Um, but Never at any point, I think, in the last five years has the influence of Twitter, I think, declined at all. In fact, I think today, uh, all those things we said, you know, joyously several years ago, mm -hmm. I think, are actually coming true. I do think it is kind of the becoming that number one source for most people to go when they want real time news or real time communication with a lot of different outlets. Uh, and so, I think we are wrong, maybe with our timing, as as often investors are. But I think it's actually all those original stories we had are coming true, and the evolution of you know Jack Dorsey coming back, making the platform more interesting, connecting it to a lot of different things uh, that we find more relevant. Mm -hmm. Sports, for example, where Twitter's become a very popular vertical. Uh, so, not a great investment story. I feel like we had it right, and I think it's just starting to play out now. It's funny to think that each time your team bought, Matt, it kind of dropped from there after you did it. And yet, even though you might feel like strike one, strike two, and strike three, you're now back to even slash maybe a little bit above where you started, and that itself is instructive. That's right. Do you like Twitter going forward? I do like Twitter quite a bit going forward. Um, I, I do think, and maybe it's just mostly anecdotal right now, uh, but I feel like the especially with maybe not so much the Facebook fallout, and it's not really fallout we're talking about, but maybe in with Facebook sort of becoming 
more focusing more inwards and more, more on f- things like friends and family relationships. I feel like there's a big opportunity for Twitter to really now dominate the, the quote unquote news feed for most people, and mm. uh, you know, especially as they interact with the the rest of the world in real time. And so, I think I'm a, a, as excited about Twitter as I uh, ever been. And I think the business of Twitter, especially when it comes to advertisers and ad revenue and things like that, uh, is really going to start reflecting that pretty soon. And Matt, who are you on Twitter? I am well at I'm not very original. I am at M Arger Singer, which is just my first initial Matt, and then my last name Arger Singer. So M Arger Singer. So nobody else grabbed at M Arger. No, no, you know, and I'm I'm not a I'm not a verified account or anything like that. But I doubt anyone's going to be looking for that <laughs> username anytime soon. Awesome, Matt. Thank you for stock story number two, and see you next week. Thanks, David. Support for Rule Breaker Investing comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage, our longest time and most supportive advertiser, we're big fans around here, is simple. It allows you to fully understand all the details and be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. So, to get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Thank you, Rocket Mortgage. And now it's time for stock story number three. I get to welcome back my friend, Brendan Matthews. Brendan, how you doing? Great. Awesome. Now, I know the company you're talking about. You and I talked about it ahead of time. I'm not sure what the story is going to be, but it's Canadian National, the railroad company. CNI is the ticker symbol. Before you start with it, though, Brendan, how long have you been at The Fool and what do you do here? So, I've been at The Fool six years now. I'm part of the Stock Advisor Research team and I'm the portfolio lead for Odyssey 2 and Supernova. Awesome. And remind me, Brendan, is Canadian National in Odyssey 2 in our portfolio? It is not. Uh, I, I don't believe any of the Supernova portfolio services have picked it up. Ah, it's, so. it's hard to get excited about a railroad sometimes. <laughs> you say that, and yet you're going to make it exciting in stock story number three, or at least interesting. Brendan, take it away. So once upon a time, commodities were in a historic boom. Housing was uh, booming too. People were using all kinds of forestry products to build homes. And there was an outstanding railroad that connected the Pacific in in British Columbia to the Atlantic in Nova Scotia, and then the Great Lakes and the Gulf of Mexico. And it was, so this time, if you you might have guessed, it was 2008. That's when you recommended Canadian National to stock advisor members. Uh, The shares on a split adjusted basis were $28. Um, the CEO was Hunter Harrison, who has recently passed away after being the CEO of CSX and Canadian Pacific. But he was a legend in the railroading industry. He was Morningstar's 2013 CEO of the year. Um, and so $28 a share, March of 2008. Then I think we all know what happens in the fall of that year. Bear Stearns is the first to fall. We see the housing market come apart. Stock market hits historic lows in March of 2009. Um, Canadian National is not immune. Uh, its shares fall to $16. And along with the, the stock market, the housing market, and the commodities market both completely fall apart. Uh, and they've really not recovered to a huge degree. Um, 
But so a Canadian national shares fall to sixteen dollars. Uh, but earnings actually didn't fall that much. So they had two point one billion in profits prior to the Great Recession. Um, profits fall to one point nine billion. Um, stay that low until recovering in two thousand ten. And since then, shares have chugged along um, from $16 or low uh, to $82 today. Now, there were highs and lows along that way. In 2014, shares hit $71 before falling to $59 in 2016, the beginning of 2016. But basically, this is a company where a lot of interesting and unpredictable things have happened. Uh, Hunter Harrison, the CEO I was talking about, uh, left in 2009, shortly after we recommended the shares. Mm. Um, the company completed a big acquisition of Elgin, Joliet, and Eastern Track around Chicago. Um, so they kind of made a made a important acquisition. Um, their agricultural or their forestry business, so shipping a lot of lumber to supply houses, um, that portion of their business kind of fell apart. Um, as, as we've seen with a lot of other railroads, coal shipments have, have fallen off. But all along the way, and, and forgive the pun, they just were kind of chugging along um, from $28 to $82 a share. And along that time, they paid $8 in dividends. Ah, I'd so forgotten that. So that's, that's, that's a four-bagger return. So 316% versus 157% percent for the S&P. So really outstanding returns for a company that is not super exciting and a lot of kind of tumultuous and unpredictable things happened over the course of a decade. So Brendan, the lesson may be self-evident, but can you double underline the lesson of this story as you see it? So for me, the big lesson is you can't predict everything, but if you can get the big things right, you'll do well. So I think with this with this stock, the one thing that we got right when I looked back at your original recommendation was the quality of Canadian Nationals network. So they they have that three coast rail network that really nobody else has uh, in the North American continent, and they're just a great railroad. So you can't predict co- commodities booming and busting, housing CEOs coming and going, but you've really got the right the the railroad with the right assets. Um, you get that right, and it worked out. And it's really wonderful to hear you kind of remind me and us what's happened over the last 10 years. Yep, that's how long we've been holding Canadian Natty. And from my standpoint, your analysis itself felt like the longer-term, bigger landscape of railroad companies themselves, talking about a big acquisition, talking about the CEO leaving within a year of our recommendation. Something delightful for us as long-term thinkers and actors to be able to step away and see a business like this and I think what's especially cool, Brandon, is that this business is this is railroads. The the business itself's been around for a couple of centuries now, and that's that's pretty cool on its own. Yeah, its history goes back to 1832. Mm. So, so almost 200 years. Tremendous. Before I let you go, how about talk about a recent Odyssey Two purchase, one that you and your team like, just a little extra candy for our listeners as you depart. A company that the newest stock that we've added to our portfolio is Salesforce, and they're the original top dog in SaaS software. So they offer customer relationship management software and a couple other things, but 
really just had a great quarter. And if it's possible to say a company is selling for a, a cheap multiple at over eight times sales, then that's the case here with uh, Salesforce. <laughs> Probably one of the best performers that's the least acknowledged or talked about. Mark Benioff, the founder CEO, is a guy who is definitely one of the great CEOs of our time, but one that a name we haven't mentioned as often on this show. And you know, one funny stat I was looking at, Brendan, you know that we've counted spiffy pops for all of our stocks when a stock makes more in a single day than our cost basis. And for Salesforce, which has been thanks to Tim Byers who brought it into Rule Breakers about a, a decade ago, Salesforce is up 18 times in value, but has only, and this sounds crazy to me, but has only spiffy popped three times. Now, when your stock goes up 18 times in value, and only on three occasions has it had enough volatility to jump over the cost basis you once paid is very unusual. I was looking back last couple of years, it hasn't made more than about a 4% move either way. And that's through a pretty strong and sometimes volatile stock market. So it's a great company. Yeah, that's true. And it's the amazing thing about Salesforce is they've got this great backlog of business, they've got future revenue in the bag. So Unlike other high flyers, you don't necessarily see those big drops when they miss earnings by a couple pennies. Mm, excellent point. All right. Thanks so much, Brandon Foulon. Thank you. All right. Stock story number four. And my next guest star I've worked with for probably longer than anybody else, except maybe my brother at The Motley Fool. I think that's fair. Rick Minar is welcome. Hi, thank you, David. Yes, I've been here a long time. I think 2000, I'm sorry, 1995 was when I first started working with you guys, and it's been an amazing uh, run ever since. And you've added so much value to our lives, not just those of us who've worked with you on Motley Fool Supernova, where you today manage the Phoenix 2 portfolio mission with a talented team. But Rick, your byline appears more on our site than mine does, I think, because you've written so many articles over the years on so many different and often fun and fun to read companies. So, thank you for your great work. And what is the stock that you have for stock story number four? Well, once upon a time, there was a company called Taser Systems. And of course, we know it now as Axon Enterprise, a very successful, one of the hottest stocks in the supernova universe over the past few months and over the past year, really. Uh, but we recommended it back in late 2004 in Rule Breakers. And it was re-wrecked nine months later in the summer of 2005 after the stock had lost almost two-thirds of its value. So Ouch. this is a company back then, all they were really making were tasers. True to their name, these are, they were the leading stun gun maker. But at the time, and when we actually sold it, we recommended that our readers, subscribers actually sell the stock back in February 2009. The stock was taking a beating. And this was a company that they were, uh, there was a lot of neg negative publicity. There were some deaths related to tasers, and that led to both the negative publicity and some lawsuits. Revenue fell in 2008. It would also go on to fall, decline in 2010. The company was not profitable at the time. Uh, so it was pretty much a, a, a very sad stock. And you almost tell yourself, okay, well, you know, let's write this one off. Let's never revisit it. Let's never check into the story again. <laughs> but as investors, we have to think beyond that. And this was a stock that uh, it did not bounce back right away. So it's not like, oh, wow, you think of early 2009, the, the market was pretty rough at that time, anyone that remembers. It wasn't a stock that just bounced back once we said let it go. The stock was actually waffling about in the mid-single digits for more than four years. And it wasn't until 2013 when the stack actually cracked over that double-digit uh, ceiling again. So 
Let's fast forward to happier times. Rule Breakers, October 2015, where you re-recommend it again. I mean, not re-recommend it, you recommend it again. And it's still Taser Systems. It's not yet Accent Enterprises, but the model itself had evolved. This was a, a company that was no longer relying on their stun guns, even though it was commanding the largest chunk of the revenue, and it continues to do that. But this is a company also behind the Axon wearable body cameras that police officers and, and military personnel were wearing so that they could document things that happened. This was also the company that would go on to establish evidence.com, which is the cloud-based platform that a lot of this data is stored. So there's a lot of video that gets recorded on these cameras, and this is a company that would go on to go on. So basically, they have the whole system down. They have the stun guns, they have the cameras, and these cameras, they now have in-car cameras, so it's not just the body cameras. Uh, they recently signed a partnership uh, with DJI for drones uh, to work in partnership with them. So this is a company that's really expanding. It's the whole surveillance and tracking stuff. And when you think about stuff in the news where there's always these very unfortunate uh, fatal encounters between officers and uh, people uh, on the road, whether suspects or, or, or innocent, whatever the case may be, um, these are incidents that they're recorded because Taser is there, or actually Axon Enterprises now, with recording these things. And so the, ever since Rule Breakers recommended it in October 2015, the stock has almost tripled. And uh, back in... in in early 2017, the first week of 2017 in Supernova, in my the Phoenix 2 uh, mission that, that I'm the lead analyst for, we bought it. And it was essentially roughly at the same price as the Rule Breakers recommendation in 2015. It's $23 and change. Great. Uh, but the stock also then has also gone on to triple. And I bought it personally. I can say that I'm glad that I bought it personally. I bought it three <laughs> weeks after the Phoenix 2 recommendation. And I'm up 167%. So I'm not doing as well as Rule Breakers subscribers <laughs> and Phoenix 2 subscribers that have followed us from the very first get-go. But I'm I'm very happy to say that this is a stock that the company is now very profitable. It's growing. And even Taser, the gut, the stun guns, it's growing. In its last quarter, revenue was up 28%. But stun guns were up 10% and accounting for about two-thirds, almost two-thirds of the revenue. But the real driver here, obviously, is these wearable cameras, this evidence.com, all these new ways, this sensors and software segment of the company uh, that exploded by 75% in its last latest quarter. So this is a very dynamic company. And to me, the lesson here is – Quite simply, goodbye isn't always forever. Always remember that sometimes you sell us, you buy a stock too soon, buy a stock too late. You can sell a stock too soon, you can sell a stock too late. But when you recognize that the company has changed, it's evolved into the company you always wanted to be. It's never too late to approach your ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend or ex-high school <laughs> sweetheart and say, let's give it another go because I think you've changed. It is an outstanding tale of that, Rick. I'm really glad that you bought it. I've never owned it personally. I'm delighted that we've recommended it for Rule Breaker members who've benefited. I'm very happy, to, though, to hear that you've more than doubled. And yeah, to, to me, especially I think last year was exciting for this stock because the performance of the stock at the time was not that exciting about 12 months ago. But what was happening is the company was getting these cameras, these police body cams, out in the field kind of more at cost, you know, not making a lot of money. So their revenues were growing, but the profits didn't look so good. The stock was getting a little bit dinged for that. But we were talking as a team, you and I were talking about how it's evidence.com, their website, where all this video goes up and lives in the cloud and every police department subscribes to it. That's the kind of razor and blades model that was in place for, for Axon Enterprises. And now we're seeing, uh, now we're benefiting from that same dynamic where people start to realize there's a lot of profit up there. 
Absolutely, and and you're seeing. I mean, Axon is selling these cam these the, the stun guns and the evidence, the body cameras, and even the index cameras. They like to sell them with five-year deals. So it's like a five-year deal. Uh, you pay $129 a month, and you have access to the unlimited storage on Evidence.com. So it's sort of like once they get a sale, it's almost a locked-in for five years. So there's great visibility now in what Axon is doing. So not only is it growing, but it's 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 actually becoming a more reliable dependable, steady company. Almost boring, but not if you look at a stock chart. All right. Well, in closing, Rick, you and I are looking backwards. Obviously, we're telling stories of the past. But when you consider that Axon today has a market cap of only about $3 billion, I don't think this is a stock that anybody's missed. I don't think they should think, oh, darn it, I wish I'd bought it with Rick a couple of years ago. Because I think going forward, I see a category leader. I don't see a lot of competition. I see only a $3 billion market cap. Your thoughts? Yeah, definitely. I mean, clearly we were way too early in 2004. Ouch. But I think we were still early in 2015. <laughs> I definitely think the best is yet to come for Axon Enterprise. And, and yes, obviously, the stock's been hot for the past year and a half. But the real big gains, I think, will come in the future is everything that it's doing, everything that it's expanding in place is going to play out. It's going to work out pretty well, I hope, for investors. Mm. Thank you, Rick Minaris. A business is only as strong as its people, and every hire matters. So don't settle for posting and hoping the right person will find your role and apply. LinkedIn is more than the world's largest professional network. It's also a better way to find great talent. With 70% of the U.S. workforce already on LinkedIn, businesses rate LinkedIn jobs 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates. 22 million professionals view and apply to jobs on LinkedIn every week, in every industry, even yours and mine. And if you're not using LinkedIn for your hiring needs, you're missing out. Just ask any of the hundreds of thousands of businesses, The Motley Fool included, who've posted to LinkedIn jobs over the past year. So go to linkedin.com slash mf and get a $50 credit toward your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash MF, like Motley Fool, for your $50 credit today. Terms and conditions apply. All right, stock story number five, and this one is mine. I'm going to talk about two stocks, only one of which is presently in the Supernova universe. You may have noticed the source for all of our stock stories are from our Supernova universe, stocks that we've picked in Stock Advisor, Rule Breakers, and Supernova. And so thank you again to my previous guests for their stories. This one is about five below. The ticker symbol is FIVE. This is a company that is based in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and for quite a while now has sold stuff in stores that costs generally $5 or less. And it's a company that is very much in the bricks and mortar of today, which you would think wouldn't work so well in retail. I'll talk a little bit about Five Below in a sec. But first, once upon a time, David and Tom Gardner were invited to give a keynote at a conference that happened to be in Puerto Rico. The year was probably around 1999 or 2000, so around 20 years ago, we were invited by Aetna, the very large and successful insurance company. Tom and I went and played a round of golf before giving that keynote talk to Aetna. In fact, that was the one round of golf I've ever played where I was bitten 
mercilessly by fire ants in an incident somewhere on the seventh hole when I decided I would take a digital photo of my brother Tom hitting out of the rough just behind a water trap. I think it was on the seventh hole. I remember mocking a disclaimer that was in our golf cart at the time. It said something like, beware of fire ants. And I thought, you know, it's sad how the lawyers have even gotten into our golf carts now with their disclaimers on seemingly every product and service around us. So I knelt down right near that water trap as Tom took his backswing and I felt the most ungodly pain on my right knee. Fire ants, as it turns out, all work together. They crawl up your leg and then through some communications device, which I don't fully understand but would be better understood by entomologists, they all communicate at the same moment, bite. And at that moment, I felt a huge amount of pain and I learned that disclaimer was in that golf cart for a a good reason. Anyway, that was all before we gave our talk to Aetna, which was later that afternoon. And as we got there, some of the entourage around the CEO, including the person who was in charge of the event, some of the PR team and the investor relations team, they said, oh, David and Tom Gardner, great. Yeah, no, it's good you guys are here. Yeah, we almost canceled you yesterday. And we said, since we'd been flying on a plane to the event the day before, we said, what? You almost canceled us? They said, yeah, you didn't see the article you guys published on your site? It incensed our CEO. And for a couple of decades now, if you're a long-term Motley Fool or Fool.com follower, you know that we write a lot of articles. Every day in the markets, we try to kind of cover the movers and shakers, the stocks up and the stocks down, as we try to tell the story of global business through the public companies that you and I can invest in. So we have a lot of contract writers who write articles on our site about all kinds of different stocks, some of which we've picked, some of which we never have. I had never personally picked Aetna. But as it turns out, that day before, the very day we flew to Puerto Rico, one of our writers had penned an article with this title, Dial 911, Aetna Needs Help. And again, this is not a a viewpoint that I had. I, I didn't even know that much about Aetna. It's not one of my stock picks. But on our website, the day before we go to speak with the CEO keynoting at their conference, we wrote Dial 911 at Needs Help. So you can see how that might have upset our sponsor, but we're happy to say they graciously still had us speak at the conference. I think we did a good job, and I'm and I'm pretty confident that Aetna still had a pretty good future, whether it needed help back in 1999 or not. So that's all a long windup for Five Below. Because earlier this year, just a few months ago, One of the things we do at The Motley Fool is we have kind of an internal university where we have a class of what we call fellows. And with that group of fellows, it's kind of like a mini business school within The Motley Fool. You you have some projects, you work with a team, you learn more and more about business, our business, and business at large. And one of the things we've always done with our fellows, which we've kind of graduated annually or so for some years now, is that we take them on a trip. And this one was to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We arrived at the headquarters of Five Below. Five Below very generously making time with its CEO and its team to meet with our fellows. And Tom and I were there. And just as we got ready to proceed over to Five Below's lovely headquarters in Philadelphia, I noticed that Jeff Fisher our Motley Pro lead advisor in the Motley Fool Pro team had previously shorted Five Below. And I began to get a Dial 911 Aetna Needs Help vibe to this. I was giggling a little bit as I pointed out to Tom, unbeknownst to both of us, that our company had previously shorted Five Below. Now, I want to mention, this is a stock that we recommend in Motley Fool Rule Breakers. It's been a good pick. I'm going to provide numbers in a sec. But there we are on our way to their headquarters with a previous short on Five Below, wondering if the CEO knew that or not. So, here are a few numbers. On April 23rd of 2014, I picked Five Below 
for Motley Fool Rule Breakers. It was at $38.5. I'm happy to say today it's at $79.46. In fact, as we do this taping, it has just crossed the 100% mark. So it's kind of an historic moment for me to tell the five below story on this day because it's up 100.3%. And that's 41 percentage points ahead of the market. That's over that four year period. So it's been an excellent four year stock. But just a few months after I picked it in Motley Fool Rule Breakers, my good friend Jeff Fisher shorted it in July of 2014. And so I was worried. I didn't know if he still had that short in. And if so, it wasn't good advice for our members. And as I finally got to the headquarters of Five Below, I had looked it up. And as it turns out, Jeff and his co associate Brian Hinman and the Motley Fool Pro team had shut down that short in December of 2015. So that was held for 17 months. And amazingly, they shorted it 36 and it went down to 28. So what I love about this story is. Not only was there no downside, and I don't think the Five Below CEO knew this or ever mentioned it at all, but simultaneously, two Motley Fool services had different positions on Five Below. I and my team have a four-year hold that's still in, and we've more than doubled our money now, which is really exciting. Meanwhile, Motley Fool Pro rode a $36 stock down to 28 and covered its short from July 14 to December 15. And so I think that's just a delightful story. For me, the lesson is you don't have to be all long or all short. You don't have to be single-minded in terms of how you view a stock. In that particular case, as I discovered that morning in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, as I nervously got off the bus and stepped into the headquarters, as it turns out, both of our Motley Fool services had profited by taking opposite tacks over different time frames. So sometimes, as a long, never forget that your best friend is the short, because anybody who's short a stock has to buy that stock back over time, which means they'll be a net buyer going forward. So, in a sense, Motley Fool Pro helped us out, and perhaps we helped them out as well. I'm not sure. But if you're a member of either of those services, I think you have different views of Five Below, but you did well either way. One thing's for sure, Five Below, ticker symbol FIVE, has been a fine company, in part, I think, because it's pretty Amazon-proof, right? Because Amazon isn't really in the business of sending off three and two dollar items where you'd have to pay for shipping or they'd have to pay it to make it free for you. Somebody's got to pay the shipping and when you're shipping two, three, four dollar items, it's not that efficient. That's why I really like and have liked Five Below as a company and having got to know them and their CEO and team a couple of months ago a little bit better, I feel really good about FIVE going forward. All right, that was stock story number five. Dial 911 Aetna needs help. And as I mentioned, we're going to close. I think I've saved the best for last. We have celebrated author Dan Pink, a good friend of The Fool, here with his stock story. And since I already know this one because he told it at Fool Fest last week, pretty sure I can tell you he's going to top us all with what you're about to hear. Dan, take it away. Once upon a time, um, in the middle of the first decade of this century, um, I wrote a book called A Whole New Mind. It had an orange cover. And um, one of the ideas in the book, um, which I'm not sure is totally right anymore, but was that um, I had this argument that the MFA, the Masters of Fine Art, the MFA is the new MBA. Right? The MFA is the new MBA because a lot of MBA skills can be outsourced and automated. The skills of an MFA, the Masters of Fine Art, are harder to outsource and harder to automate. Therefore, it would be they would be more valuable. The MFA is the new MBA. Um, that idea got me invited to a lot of art and design schools. Um, <laughs> Um, 
and <laughs> because everybody loves confirming their own biases. Um, and uh, in the course of going to a a um, um, uh, this, I, I went to the Rhode Island School of Design, one of the premier art and design colleges in America, just an incredible institution. And there I met a young man, um, I'm not going to even tell you his name, I'm just going to tell you, I met a young man who came up to me after the speech and talked to me a little bit and then sent me, and sent me an email and, um, afterwards and asked me some questions and I responded to the email and he seemed like a good dude. This guy, I thought, I liked this guy, I thought he was super creative. And, um, and um, maybe a year later, two years later, he emailed me and um, he said, I thought he was just a super creative guy. And, and he said, oh, I, you know, I got this crazy idea for a business. And uh, he told me about the business and I thought it was the most like, absurd. <laughs> it's just absurd, an absurd idea. But as a way to raise money for it, because he was a pretty skilled uh, designer and a very creative guy, he decided, this is now 2008, he decided to do a set of limited edition cereal boxes. This is going to sound weird. Limited edition cereal boxes, where he and some of his design colleagues created these two boxes of cereal. Literally, it had cereal in it, um, and the box, one, one brand was called Obama-O's, all right? Hope in every box. Um, and the other one was called Cap'n, C-A-P apostrophe N, all right? Cap'n McCain's, all right? So one was for McCain, and they, and, and they said, we're going to do these things to raise a little bit of money. We're going to do these limited edition cereal boxes. And so there are actually works of art in the limited edition, and each cereal box had stamped on it, you know, number four of 500, number six of 500, or whatever. And I thought, that's pretty good. And these things, and, and I'm, I'm actually, I mean, I actually really enjoy um, uh, fine art, particularly conceptual art. I like, I like going to the Hirshhorn, and I like, like this sort of more um, uh, outre, um, forgive my French, um, 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 kinds of art and these kind of wacky things. And they were selling it, and I like this guy, and I said, this guy could be a famous artist one day, and it'd be really cool if this guy were like the next Andy Warhol or Jeff Koons or something like that, and I had one of his early pieces. And so for a tiny little amount, you know, literally, I think they were like 75 bucks a piece, I bought these things, and, and I said to this young man, this is totally cool. I mean, you know, um, it's cool that you're raising money for this business, um, but, you know, I'm buying these things because I think you're gonna, you could probably be a, a well-known artist, and this is my investment, but, like, I would never put a cent into your company. Um, and, um, and so I have in my office, and I'll, I think David might have seen these, I have in my office these cereal boxes, because they look really nice. They're super cool looking, and it's, so it's Obama owes Captain McCain, and um, on the top of it, it says, you know, a product of Air Bed and Breakfast. Thank you. So, you know that old, like, you know that old line, it's like, you know, the country song, it's like, you know, um, you got the coal mine and I got the shaft. Um, the, um, the, uh, so I didn't want to say his name to tip it, but it's Joe, a fellow named Joe Gebbia, who is now, like, I don't know, what, the 41st richest person in the world. And, um, and um, so Joe got the billion dollar company that's going to go public next year, but I've got my cereal, man. <laughs> All right. Well, 
of all six companies that we covered this week, that's the only one that you couldn't have invested in that remains a private company. If it ever does come public, we'll certainly take a hard look at it for Stock Advisor or Rule Breakers. Perhaps one day, Airbnb will be in the supernova universe. But as of now, it's uninvestable. Although, Dan, it sounds to me like he did have a shot that he ended up not taking. Well, thank you again to Dan Pink. All right, well, as we prepare to close, one reflection back on some of the stories we heard. I heard that theme, that lesson of trying to get the big things right. And I really appreciated how a few of my storytellers underlined that. And I think that, even though I didn't come in with that on my mind, I think that's maybe the takeaway lesson for this week. A lot of times, especially if you're a rule-breaker investor, you have sort of more of a venture capital mentality, you want to ask yourself, what's the big stuff of our time? What are the big total addressable markets and the interesting technologies? You don't have to get all the details right. Sometimes you don't even have to get the timing right, but if you get some of those bigger picture things right, I think we heard loud and clear a few different times this week, that can be really lucrative. So, there's a thought for you. Two notes to close. First of all, a reminder, Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, his brush with the Motley Fool is our weekend extra coming to you for Rule Breaker Investing this weekend. I also recommend, again, maybe you want to go see that documentary. hope it's in a local theater. Won't you be my neighbor this weekend? I'm going to try to get over there. Big Fred Rogers fan. That's note number one. Note number two is that next week, as I mentioned earlier, is the Market Cap Game Show, latest episode with Matt Argersinger. And if you're a Dan Pink fan, you should know that the following weekend, we're going to run that entire interview with Dan for your pleasure. In the meantime, fool on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.